have the vitamins going? Are you any younger yet? <laughs> do, you, do you mean my well teen vitamins? <laughs> yeah. Not, have you started growing? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I feel that I have more energy for study. <laughs> uh, I'm definitely more sporty, and uh, and thankfully not. It's weird. Every morning I, I take my well teen vitamin. That if someone is listening to this for the first time, I did buy by mistake. It's for 13 to 19 year olds. I don't know what I expect to happen, but I honestly. I think I believe that I'm going to feel different, but I'm not quite sure if I can have more. I, no, I definitely haven't grown. Um, I think it's. Uh, I think I'm about the same, but they're um, they're okay. They're okay so far, but I'm not sure I'll be buying them again. You know what has worried me though? I've got another. I've got another preschool cake sale coming up. Now, remember last time. Did I get yeah. the date wrong? Did I take the cakes and I think on the wrong date or something? I had a bit of a shocker. So yeah. basically, what shall I make this time round? Because I still feel a lot of mothers just go to the shop and buy a bag, box of cakes and take them. But I feel I should make something. Okay, oh, that's good. I think you should. Baking's good. Now, you didn't really understand my little French things I made last time. What shall I make this time? It's in a couple of weeks. I think it's Valentine. Is it Valentine's Day? I think it might be. What shall I make? for for the preschool bake sale um i made some jaffa cakes last night jaffa cakes that, yeah i made some jaffa cakes did for you? ben to take into work and pass off as his own did um, you <laughs> yeah that's very why that's very wifey of you to make ben jaffa cakes is it? <laughs> to take to work <laughs> is it really um i have a picture of them actually I can pop that up. I pop them up on. They look great. Pop up on Did social media. Did you take media. a picture of your Jaffa cakes? Yes, I always take a picture of my bakes. Oh, and also, when it comes to baking now, so supposedly I should know what I'm talking about when it comes to tennis. But anyone who's seen my ATP <laughs> tennis radio predictions fully understands that I don't know what's going on. My Including so Nadal bad. will not win a match on any surface other than clay in 2019. <laughs> I meant. I meant on the tour. That's what I meant on the ATP tour. That's what I meant. That's definitely right. what I meant. That's Grand what slams I meant. to one side. Yeah, but I, I'm so bad at predicting tennis. But you know what I'm unbelievably good at predicting is, well, baking. Cakes? But, yes, exactly. But the Great British Bake Off. What? So the last three years, I love the Great British Bake Off. Watch it all the time uh, when it's on. The last three years, we... Uh, me, Ben and his sister have sat down, watched the very first episode, but not even the whole first episode, just watched one bake, the very first bake out of the bunch of them. I don't know, there's like 14 or 15 of them. And you have to pick the winner from one bake. And year one, I picked the winner. <laughs> year two, I picked the winner. And year three, I picked a finalist. Not bad going. Did you just pick the pretty ones, the ones that look nice? What the cakes that look good? It's it's like in a it's like in the Grand National. People don't bet at all ever, and then they just go for a name they like, and sometimes they get lucky. So do you yeah. just pick? Do you just pick like, oh, that looks like a pretty cake? I won. I won the Grand National with that. I've only played the Grand National once, and I won that with many clouds. There you go. Played it. I, I played it. <laughs> I I actually I'm I not a pro. And, 
<laughs> I actually went on the Great British Bake Off strike when it moved from BBC to Channel Four. No, I just I I was I was devastated. I was devastated by the Is move. That your BBC blood inside you just couldn't no, handle it. No, I just it. I just I I couldn't bear the thought of new people presenting. I couldn't bear the thought of adverts breaking it up. So I haven't watched it since it moved from oh. the BBC. Oh, is it okay? Is it it's exactly is it as, the same? Oh, <laughs> it's <okay>. no different. <laughs> um, but I, um, yeah, but yeah, isn't that impressive though? I think two out of three wins and one finalist just from the very, very first bake. Because what you got to look for is somebody who can go on a bit. They've got potential. Somebody who's quite switched on. They're really listening to what the judges are saying to them and they're kind of taking that on board and uh, somebody that can go on a journey. So you can't pick the person who's the best in the first week. They never, ever win. So why, when you know I don't like shortbread, did you persist in making me shortbread when you had Jaffa cakes tucked up your sleeve? Oh, do you want some Jaffa cakes? I can oh, make some Jaffa cakes. Do you want some Jaffa cakes? Well, <laughs> I think I offered that at the time, to be honest, but I I'll make some Jaffa cakes. I didn't, I didn't want the shortbread. So I think... Um, I tell you what, I'll bring him to Acapulco. <laughs> I'll, bring, I'll bring some Jaffa cakes to Acapulco. We're doing the finals together, okay? And uh, we'll try them out then. With some Jaffa cakes? Yes. Anyway, okay. back to your baking dilemma. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I totally forgot about that. Jaffa cakes are really easy, by the way. Are they quite hard? I imagine they're quite hard to make. Super easy. Don't take long at all. Really? really? Do you yeah. make anything that's complicated? Because you said that shortbread, <laughs> you said shortbread was really easy too. <laughs> well, yeah, I make quite plain stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I should make Jaffa cakes. Okay. Yeah, I think that I think they're good because they're quite impressive because everyone goes, oh, Jaffa cakes. And I mean, they're really easy. The video of Sven we posted on social media has, I don't think, if I use the word viral, it's probably slight exaggerated. What is viral? I mean, how many, how many views is viral? He was over, viral's surely at least a million. Are we there uh, yet? We're not. We, Sven, close your ears. We haven't quite made it viral yet. We are, we are just over 1500, which is you telling him to spin and crawl and all this kind of stuff and some nice comments about Sven so Sven is just what have you done recently with Sven because I feel he needs to be a feature uh I'm, I'm I've started roll over it's not going very well and you don't have to roll over <laughs> <laughs> no um no I'm I yeah I started roll over with him um and it's 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 a tough one he doesn't really want to go onto his back because it's quite a vulnerable position um, and he's not the most sort of a uh, submissive dog. So, uh, yeah, he's not, not the biggest fan of rolling over. Um, but I don't know. We'll try. We'll get there. I'll use my Frankfurter to see how, see how he does. So I will update everybody if there is any progress. We'll get there. Can uh, I? Well, apart from <laughs> thinking that I might have just found the title for this week's podcast, but when you just slip into conversation, <laughs> I will use my Frankfurters. <laughs> <laughs> What, what 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 does that actually mean? Do you know what? I was thinking your face and you got so, you look so confused. And I was thinking, why are you confused? <laughs> Frankfurters. 
Well, I just it, he likes frankfurters, and they're quite new to him because he hasn't had them before. So it's a new treat. So teaching him a new trick, it's good to have a new treat because he really, really, really wants it. You just wave. You just wobble a frankfurter at him. Not. <laughs> not. <laughs> 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 not really it's snatched out of my hand no no you take a little piece and then you kind of make him do the movements get him to follow the frankfurter in the movements that's it you know okay. <laughs> follow the frankfurter okay <laughs> okay the um the, the the next if i could make a request the next video of sven that we post can it involve a frankfurter yeah, yeah, I'll I'll wobble my Frankfurter <laughs> in front of the camera, and then I'll get him to do something interesting. <laughs> no, we have um, we've had a question. We've had another question. Would you believe? Oh, great! It's come through. It's it's from a Labrador. Oh, good! Is it about Frankfurters? <laughs> no, it's not about Frankfurters. It was just the dog thing that reminded me. It, it's from the account. Is it is a Labrador? That's, that's all I can really tell you. And mm. I don't know if we've I don't know if we've covered this before. It may have been a while back. But the Labrador wants to know what your favourite thing about being a professional tennis player was. Wow, very inquisitive Labrador. Um, <laughs> my favourite thing, my favourite thing about being a professional tennis player, well, actually playing the tennis. Um, people don't realise that's actually a really small amount of your time when you're being a professional tennis player. So um, it's that, the matches, the matches were awesome. I loved it. I loved competing. Um, loved playing in pressure situations. Loved just kind of thumping the ball around. Yeah, I had a whale of a time on the court. It was, um, yeah, it was it was great. I think that's definitely my favourite part. Unless I'm, am I missing something? I don't know. The gifts are pretty good. That was always fun when you well, turn up to, to tournaments. <laughs> that's when I saw the question. I immediately, I immediately remember the story. Free stuff. You, yeah, I think I actually wrote that down. Free stuff. It was, I think it was at Wimbledon. So one of our very, very first tennis podcasts when you were mm. talking about going to get the, the free stuff from your, from your clothing sponsor with yeah. like huge, big sort of hold alls, uh, like so, uh, basically like supermarket sweep, which is most people's dream to be let loose in a department store and just told they can take anything. That was pretty fun. Um, not gonna lie. I mean, that was that was really good fun, especially when you kind of oh, I like these, and they say yeah, take three. That was great. <laughs> so, if your favourite part was playing tennis, does that mean your least favourite part was the was it the training, travelling? Um, no. Uh, in terms of training, my least far, my least favourite part of training was running. Hated oh, running. Awful. Really awful. Yeah. And and I, I just had such a mental block on it. So, I was pretty. I could swim really well. I could bike really well. Like weights was all fine. So a, a main, the main bulk of training was fine. But to go and run four miles, I'd just be thoroughly fed up before we even started. And it's not really very helpful. Um, I just, yeah, really hated that. I just, I'm not a very good runner. I don't think I'm very efficient. Um, it's and I hate it. When we spoke to, I should say, Jill Krabers, her chocolates, her truffles are very close to launch. She has everything set now. Oh, really? Great. Well, doesn't she need her chief tasters to get involved first? What's going on? I haven't had a phone call. <laughs> she did say, 
that he's going to bring some to Wimbledon. And it does seem a long way away at the moment. But, but you know, it just reminded me of Jill because she loved the training part of things, didn't she? Yeah. Jill would. Jill said she absolutely, and she hated the competing side. So the, the flip side, she knew that the end, well, it was getting nearer the end when she woke up on match day and she didn't want it to be match day. She wasn't looking forward to it. Yet every day she loved getting up and whatever the training was. I mean, she'd be, if you were the coach, she was the perfect student because she just wanted to train, train, train. But when it got to match day, that was when she was like, she, she just didn't want to do it. Yeah. Whereas for you, was that, that was even towards the end when you decided the time had come, you still loved getting out there and actually playing tennis. Yeah. And, um, but I mean, basically, players can fall into one of two categories in general, and that's those that play much better in training than they do on matches, and those that play better in matches than in training. And I would always lift my level in matches. Um, and I think, just from what Jill has said to me, and I've played against her and trained with her and stuff, I think her level was better in, in training on the whole. Um, it's, I mean, neither one is right. There are players that do both. That's that's not a problem. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you, as a coach, you kind of got to figure out which one your player is and then you would just kind of tailor everything uh, uh, around that, I guess. But I th- yeah, I think she kind of fell into that category. Uh, and I just love, I just wanted to play. I just wanted to play matches. That was, the worst thing about losing was, oh, I don't get to play tomorrow. And then I was like, oh, I have to train. <laughs> That's rubbish. But surely in this day and age, there's, there's a tournament every day, every week of every month of, of every year. So if you're lost in the first round or if you lost in qualifying, was it, could you just quickly get yourself into another tournament at whatever level? Or did it, was it not as simple as that? Because you hear about players, they're out of one, oh, I'll take a wild card and, and off I go to the next one. Oh yeah, I know you can do it from week to week, but you can't play more than one event in one week. So you could go, but it's still six days and you'd have this training programme. Um, and because... You know, I didn't travel with a fitness trainer. Way too expensive. And I was out there kind of with my coach. You'd be, you'd have this program and it was very much like uh, six days out of, um, six days out of competition. This is what you're going to do. And it was not fun. Five days away from competition. This is what you do. Four days, three days. So who, who, who set that? So my my strength and conditioning coach. So back at back at base, and and how was it? Get was it um, sent to you in kind of video format? Was it just sort of pictures or notes on a piece of paper? To in terms of how would you know what you had to do in those yeah. days? It's all just it was all just done. It was all just written down. It, it, all of the stuff was training that we had done. Nothing was new. It you know we we'd done say a couple of weeks of training leading up to this tournament block, and then I was away for three weeks, um, and then I just had program for every single day whether you were seven days six days I think it started at six days because if you were seven days away that would be a rest day that sort of thing so um but six days was awful six days was just an (laughs) awful awful day and uh, I went through a phase actually of about a year where I just didn't lose in the first round because then it took five days (laughs) I've never been more motivated and I, 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 I kid you not genuinely in matches when it was kind of tight beginning of the third set I would use it as extra motivation it's like I really do not want to do that session tomorrow that is awful (laughs) I'm going to be down on the beach doing sprints or whatever it is and I was like you've got to win this match and was it did your coach have to implement it or did you have to have the self-discipline to get your notes out and get on with your beach sprints or whatever it was Uh, it was a bit of both really um, and it depends on kind of who your coach is. I mean, some coaches don't like to get involved with the strength and conditioning. I oh. feel like nowadays more coaches do 
Um, I think they actually kind of just join in a lot of the time and it becomes a team thing. Um, but uh, back, yeah, 10, 15 years ago, a lot of coaches were just kind of like, I coach, I turn up to your on-court stuff and then you don't see them for the rest of the time. Oh. Um, and uh, and that's okay too. I mean, everybody's different. So it's fine. Now, I'm not saying you were unfit. I actually don't know how fit or not you were. But do you think, <laughs> no, do you think <laughs> it would have made a difference if you had travelled with a fitness and conditioning coach like so many of them do now or not at all? Oh, it definitely makes a difference. That's for but sure. How, but, but how much of a difference would it have made, do you think? I mean, do you look back and think, God, if I'd had that entourage or that team of a, someone making my smoothies and, and someone doing the shuttle runs with me, etc., it would have taken you to a completely different level? Or do you think it just would have made a little bit of a difference? Like how, how much do those teams actually make in terms of, can they make a good player to a great player? Can they, I mean, what level do you think it can take you to? I, I think it's significant. I think it's a significant difference. I, mean, I don't think it is, you know, dramatic, but I, I do think it's a decent maybe chunk of percentage or, or whatever. And um, yeah, I mean, the main thing is, is about preventing injuries. Strength and conditioning coach is really, really good for that. Um, I mean, a physio's great. A physio kind of tends to, to treat a lot of injuries, but a strength and conditioning coach, they know where you're weak, what you need to fire up. Also, they sit and watch your match so they can see how much exertion your match has been. Um, and then they can tailor things around it because you can have a three sets that really wasn't that stressful because they were kind of short rallies. You were playing a big hitter. It was six two three six six one or something like that. And it wasn't necessarily huge. Or you can have a two set match that was so tense and so brutal, so physical. So they vary so much and you're not allowed any sort of... Um, tracking device on you as a, as a player as they do in other sports like in rugby and football and those sorts of things oh you're not allowed are you? oh, I thought you're not allowed any technology so you can't wear a fitbit or something to track your heart rate why not because we have an anti-coaching rule no other sport has an anti-coaching rule and technology uh but it's you, it's not actually coaching you at the time though is it it's something to look at afterwards no but uh you are oh, mate barry cowan with his headphones in with music it's not allowed because somebody could talk to you through those headphones and it, it was taken off him when technology started becoming a thing as i say we are one of the only sports that actually specifically in the rules it says no coaching allowed um like at all so in rugby they wear those little things in the back of their shirts yep. and it tracks their heart rate and it basically tells the coaches when to pull them off the pitch right and it, it you know coach goes right he's down to zero um or it tells the coaches to have a go at them because they're acting tired and the coach is like mate <laughs> you've got loads left in the tank come on let's go <laughs> right but you're not allowed that in tennis because it could somehow it could send you messages you know, it could beep, that could be a message from a coach, it, you know, whatever it may be. So there's just no technology allowed. Um, Jana Conta in Fed Cup last year against, oh no, sorry, the year before against Romania. Actually, maybe it was last year against Japan. I can't remember and it's not relevant. <laughs> <laughs> we, we like to be precise here on the podcast. You, you know what? You need some of my well-teen vitamins because they help you start <laughs> sharpen me up. <laughs> Yeah, but she had a she just had a Fitbit on her wrist because she just all she wanted to do was track her heart rate because that helps you train better and smarter and that sort of thing. She was asked to take it off. You're not allowed. Somebody could communicate. It could flash at you, and that could be a signal. And as I say, if you're a sport like football or rugby, and you don't have an anti-coaching 
rule in place, then sure, you can wear technology. Um, I mean, God, I mean, Tour de France and in NFL, they have earpieces in, they have people talking to them constantly. So anyway, so you can't have that. So we used to use a system which was totally rubbish, but you would rate your match out of five for different sorts of exertion, like mental, physical, emotional, that sort of thing. And then your, you'd send it to your coat your trainer who's back home your strength and conditioning trainer and they would kind of collate it and say right so then you need to do this but I mean it's just so imprecise um I mean there's just no I mean we were trying but it's really difficult when they're not there (laughs) but if they're there and they sit they can watch it they can speak to you about it you can you know they can really feel what the match is uh and then and sometimes they might just go do you know what just don't worry about it let's just stretch it out do a bit of core uh, and we're fine for today. And other times they'll go, you know, we need to go to the track and we need to do some sprints because your first step is slow and that was a very quick match. You know, I don't know, whatever, right? They're the dreaded words, aren't they? We need to go to the track. Oh, we need track. to do some sprints. I actually went to to my gym to see a personal trainer just to sort of, you know, get some feedback and everything. And there were, there were a lot of weaknesses <laughs> as, 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 as my assessment. Uh, I mean, I know you probably would have told me to tell him you do know you're dealing with a marathon running, <laughs> but funnily, <laughs> funnily enough, I thought it was something I shouldn't divulge. And um, yeah, they, it, it is amazing how even from, I don't know, going to see a personal trainer years ago to now how things have changed and how it's more about uh, the dynamics of the body and what you've got to do and what you've got to look after and it was oh I, it was all very stressful and it and it did involve some sprinting <laughs> so, <laughs> so I don't know but surely you prefer that over the old school rocky style of let's do sit-ups off the side of the roof and let's just go <laughs> go go in the cold in the snow press ups get up you know that was the old style I remember can I tell you worked with um, a great <laughs> Have you coach ever done that <laughs> Yes. Um, uh, I worked with a great coach and it was when I was, uh, actually he wasn't my coach, but he was a a national coach and he took us on trips for GB Uh, and he's fabulous. And he was super old school. He was quite old. So, you know, he was old school. And I went to this trip to France where I actually did really well. And he was so old school because we were basically saying there isn't enough equipment for us to do our program. And he said, well, adapt it figure something out you could do a workout in your hotel room if you need to and we were I mean we were only about 15 at the time we were like really I mean I mean okay you could maybe do some press-ups and stuff but I mean is it really like a workout as in as a professional player you're, you're talking about running 400s and 800s and, you know to feel like you've really done a proper workout or like lifting 100 kilos and stuff anyway so he, he, t- he took us outside well there was space but he was just making a point and he just said, okay, great, listen to me, do as I say, uh, and we're going to do a good workout. And we were like, uh, okay. And he said, and we were all just standing, there's about four of us just standing in front of him. And he said, sit down. So we sat down on the floor, cross-legged, and he said, stand up, sit down, <laughs> stand up, sit down, stand up. We did that, nothing else, didn't add in a burpee or a press-up. No, no, didn't want to make it interesting. We did that for about 45 minutes, and I've what? honestly... Never. Oh, you, I've never worked so hard in my life. It was you did so, not do that straight yes, for 45 minutes. Well, <laughs> not straight. I mean, as in he would sometimes let you sit on the floor for about five seconds before he would then say, stand up. And then he'd go, sit down, stand up. 
sit down and it was, it was all different rhythm and I'm, I'm telling you the burn in my legs and then after that he was like if you ever tell me that you cannot do a fitness session because you don't have equipment because obviously we we had just done it in kind of what a square meter that's all we did it in uh we were like okay <laughs> okay as long as you don't make us do this again we'll never complain <laughs> it was awful Wow, that's but old school. But but effect, but effect. No, I I did go in with the rocky mentality of right. Let's do this. Let's just oh, go hard. Nice. Let's go quick. I was ready with the rocky music, and and he just looked at me and started talking about like biomechanics and which bits of me were lopsided and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh crikey. Um, but no, his way is obviously the better way. But I did go in there thinking right. You know, as you said, sit ups on the roof in the snow and running up and down stairs. And he oh, looked. Let's do that together. I love that sort of training. No. Why? Why? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, we I think do not. That. I don't think we will ever play tennis against each other, and because I would laugh. Why and you'd not? Get, well, I'd laugh. What about and, if I play with you? Because I think be you're quite, pair. No, because I think you're quite competitive, and I'd laugh, and I think you get annoyed. You might end up hitting me with a ball. And... I honestly, I would never ever get annoyed. <laughs> I never get annoyed at anyone on a double score anyway. Even like when we were playing at Wimbledon, I just, I just say, okay, never mind, try again. <laughs> which <laughs> I, I no, maybe would be a, a fearsome doubles pairing or it might be I don't know again it might bring the podcast to an end <laughs> you sort of, I suppose we don't want to put ourselves in those situations where <laughs> where the podcast could potentially end I don't think we need to put ourselves in unduly stressful situations I think maybe I think we there's going to be some tournaments we're at the same tournaments this year so maybe yeah we could try a fun training session together no mm. okay it's not it's not going to be fun but we let, let's we, let's try some something like that and kind of report back on what it's like okay we'll just i don't know we'll just find something and do it shall we oh and did you know i might be starting another podcast with someone else <laughs> have i have i told you that <laughs> look um, on your face <laughs> <laughs> well have i told you that i'm doing one with sven so we got our fame from the viral video and we're off <laughs> we um i've had a couple of um comments in uh, in australia i was doing some work with chanda rubin and, and dogs Ooh, came I up. Oh, I love Chanda. I don't know why when I'm doing some dogs come up and breeds, these weird mixes when, when dogs mate with other dogs and, and you come up with this sort of weird mix. And so she started telling me what her dogs are called. And again, I haven't got a clue what bred with what to create what. And she kept trying to tell me. And it's the middle of a fairly important match that we went <laughs> off down a road of. And there's, there's a few people saying, have you ever thought of doing an animal podcast together? <laughs> to, which, <laughs> to which we thought, uh, no and no. <laughs> you could bring in the koalas but well basically the theme is me being really confused as what has slept with what to create what and I, and I just I don't think there's enough in that for a podcast to be honest so I was listening to you guys a lot I must have missed that bit I would have loved it this I think this was one of those nights or days uh, I never know the time difference when it had been a very 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 long day I think it was the day after the Johanna Conta Garbinia Muguruza match that ended at 3.15 local mm. time and then I'd got up at 6.30 local time so I had two hours sleep to to do a show and then we were back in work and this was probably eight o'clock the next night. So I was delirious and, yeah. and Chanda had been there for that moment. So she was delirious. So I think mm. at this point it was, I think it was delirium, which, which led to sort of strange conversations. Two things 
things you said a little while ago. You said Fed Cup and you said Romania. <laughs> and for me this weekend, I am doing the Czech Republic against Romania in the Fed Cup. We know that Great Britain have wonderfully a home tie there in Bath. <gasps> Get excited. It's now, and I, and I remember asking you this week, did you play Fed Cup? What's your, what's your Fed Cup history? I played once. That oh, was it. You? Well, no. yeah. I mean, remember, I stopped very young. <laughs> I stopped playing tennis at 21. So it's not like I had a lot of opportunities. Uh, I played once, um, made my debut at, uh, probably would have been 17, just turning 18. I played that one. I, I was selected for the team the following year. Right. Um, but I had to pull out of it because um, that was when I was really stru- starting to struggle um, traveling and I kind of needed to get my head a bit straight and playing it. And I really, really struggled playing in a team and playing Fed Cup. Really. It's my, it was my worst thing. Now, now, why? Because about two minutes ago, you said that, you, you know, on a doubles court, you'd be great and we'd be a great team. And then suddenly to Fed Cup and you hear players like Nick Kyrgios and for them, they thrive in the Davis Cup. They want to be part of a team and, and Jack Sock, that's when they become alive. So mm. what what for you? Why? Yeah, that's interesting. OK, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, most people seem to really enjoy the team thing and I just find it a completely different sort of pressure I know how to handle the pressure that comes from myself I know how to detach myself from external pressures that don't really mean anything like whether it's media or the the federation or whatever it is but when it's your teammates I, I was just a I was just a ball of emotion and I'd kind of zone in and out of matches so I'd get to the point where I was playing and it was all good and then you hear something like advantage Great Britain and I'm like <laughs> You're so used to hearing Advantage Cavaday and that kind of just jolts you back into reality and you think, oh, uh, okay, and you're looking at your team and they're kind of... And I always struggled. I played like junior Fed Cups. I played winter and summer probably a couple of times each. So I played four of those and then I played main Fed Cup. Every single one was the same. I really, really struggled to perform. Um, I... I mean, I played one really good match in the in the actual Fed Cup that I played. We were in Plovdiv, I think. You were you were okay. You were in where? Plovdiv is that a place? <laughs> I, I mean, does it sound like I know if that's a place? <laughs> you played oh, there. You know, I can't remember. It was a really long time ago. Yeah, and I was and I played against uh, Radvanska, Agnieszka Radvanska. Um, oh wow! Okay, at number one uh, against against Poland. Uh, and I did all right. It was on clay as well. It was all right. I mean, I, she was top 10 at the time. And I, I think I lost like six and two or something. It, it was it was a good, good showing. Okay. But that wasn't necessarily the problem. It was the ones where I was expected to win. And a lot of players have, and especially juniors, but a lot of players have that as an issue, the expectation to win. When you're playing somebody, you know you're better than. And I never, ever had that a problem, as a problem until I played Fed Cup. And I found it really difficult. So it was 2007, April, oh, the, yeah. the 19th to the 21st. Oh, so I was still 17. In Plovdiv, well remembered. Oh, I got it right. Plovdiv on the clay. And Plovdiv is the second largest city in Bulgaria with a population of 345,000. There you go. Yeah. 
Good knowledge. I could, yes, off the top of my head. And let's see, results-wise, so, hang on. Uh, I think I lost a couple. <laughs> you, uh, three? Mandy Manella? Right. Six, four, six, seven, four, six? Yeah, I should have won that. That was one I should have won. Agnieszka Radvanska? Yeah. Three, six, two, six? Oh, I thought I did better than that. <laughs> It was. I thought I got to a tie break. She was top ten, to be fair. Against Johanna Larson, it was a little bit. This one was a little bit topsy turvy, though. Two six mm. six one one six. Yeah, I should have won that one as well. Both of those, I I really. Uh, you know, they were disappointing losses. As it, like, if that had been in a normal tournament, I, with the way the match was going, I felt like I would have won it. Um, I just really underperformed. Did you tell anybody? Whether it be teammates, who was the Fed Cup captain? It was Nigel Sears. It was Nigel Sears' first year that year, and we had Anne Kjothavong, right? Uh, Elena Baltacha, uh me, and Claire Curran. Did you tell anyone about this? No. Uh... Well, I I remember. So when I played junior Fed Cup at like sixteen, because remember my junior Fed Cup was just the year before I played Fed Cup because mm-hmm. I played at seventeen. So the the junior Fed Cup was at sixteen. Because they do under 14s and under 16s, I think. Um, but with the under 16, they do younger as well, which is silly. Um, but we did, yeah, played the under 16s. And I remember I, I played the match. And then I spoke to my, the, the, our, our captain at the time, who was uh, Dave Samuel. And I said to him, I just froze. I said, I just completely panicked and I was really nervous. And he said, well, why didn't you tell me? And I was like, well, I didn't really realise until we were in the middle of the match. And they kept saying Great Britain. <laughs> and I was thinking, no, I, I'm not playing for the entire nation. What the hell is going on? But you kind of are. Yeah. So, um, and he said, well, no, no. I mean, I was sitting right next to you the whole time. That's the good thing about Fed Cup is I'm right next to you. You can just talk to me about it. But no, I was just really terrified. I, I always just had this um, ideal in my head as to what I was. Like, you know, I'm this independent. I'm not phased by anything. And I struggled to accept that this was a particular thing that I was phased by. Um, and and Fed Cup was the, the number one scariest thing. There was barely anybody watching in Plovdiv. You know, they don't get the fans out particularly well. Fortunately, in Bath, we've got like 10,000 people coming. I was saying to Harriet, who's making her debut, Harriet Dart, she was like, oh yeah, 10,000 people, that's pretty good. I was like, we had 13. <laughs> like, that was it. Thousand? No, no, 13. <laughs> Across the whole week. That was it. Um, and you had Wozniacki playing on one court, Radvansky, you had top 10 players. Like, it, was, it was amazing, but no one wanted to come and watch. But uh, yeah, and it was weird. You know, I went and played at Wimbledon later that year and played with thousands of people watching and on TV and stuff. And it wasn't that much of a problem. But Fed Cup, the pressure of having people to play for. Uh, and I always put it down to there was a reason I played an individual sport and not a team sport. That was why. I didn't like that element of team sports. Didn't like relying on other people and I didn't like other people relying on me. I like to just do me and that's why I played tennis. So then kind of put into this abnormal team situation where we never, ever, ever play in teams. I've probably played in in a team through my career up until 21. I probably played in a team 10 times. That was it. The rest of it was all individual. It was really foreign to me. And I wonder whether there are any other players like that because you do hear a lot about the players who just love it. And they just come alive, like Kyrgios and like Murray. I mean, my God, how Murray just absolutely loved it. But then I think he always 
wished he kind of was in a team. I imagine it's it's quite a difficult thing to come out and say, now it's fine. But it's I imagine it'd be quite a difficult thing to come out and say, I don't like the pressures of being in a team because you might feel that you're letting down your country or your teammates. It's quite it's it's easy to say, oh, I love being part of a team and it's great. And we fire each other up and I jump around on the sidelines. But to actually stand up, I think it'd be quite a brave thing to stand up and say, uh, you know, that there's there's players that that don't play for various reasons. It's either tiredness or illness or they've done their duty or they want to focus on this. But to actually stand up, imagine if one of the top or anyone stepped back and said, I'm not going to play because I, I I don't enjoy the team aspect or I don't enjoy the pressures. I think that'd be quite a brave thing to say because natu- people's natural reaction would be like, what are you talking about? That's It's quite a, a selfish attitude, but it wasn't. And it was probably, if you, would you have, if you'd continued to play tennis, would you have continued to play Fed Cup if you were asked? Or do you think at some point you would have said, I don't want to do it? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I had mixed emotions about it. Um, and because also I was so young and everyone was so much older than me, like significantly older than me. It's, I mean, it's not like they're your friends. I mean, I was still a young teenager and they're kind of, you know, I mean, they're early 20s, 23 years old, something like that. But it's a significant difference. I didn't really know them either. Like we didn't do, there was no team bonding or anything. It was just a turn up and play. So I didn't know them. So I couldn't really talk to them. After that, Bally became a really close friend of mine. So maybe it, would have changed do you think maybe as you got older and you got to know the setup and more about it you think or do you still think in yourself now even the thought of it you're a bit like <gasps> no yeah I mean I, <clears throat> I I don't know I mean I mean you said that it'd be brave for somebody to say that they didn't like it or that they struggled with it I mean the main thing is is that yeah because you'll get dropped I wanted to play I was playing for my country playing for Fed Cup but if I said to Nigel you know, I've just lost, I lost three matches, but two of them I really could have won. And uh, if I said the reason I didn't win is because I can't handle the pressure of being in a team situation, he's not going to put me in next year. He's not going to take a risk with kind of, you know, actually we're going to put you in above Anne, which is what he had done for one of the days or, or whatever. You're, you know, as a captain, you need people who really want to get out there and are chomping at the bit to go, right? You don't want somebody who's going to be a bit kind of holding back and reserved. So... I I knew that if I said anything, I would then just be bound to be a reserve on the bench the whole time. Like I would go because my ranking would get me in the team and it would be pretty outrageous that they didn't ask me. But like, I, you know, are they going to pick me? Probably not. Um, and I didn't particularly have any sort of doubles prowess. So that was, <laughs> was not going to happen either. Um, but I think, I, I don't know. I think it would have been something that, Oh, I suppose if you're honest about it, then you can go and work on it, right? And if it takes a couple of years to work on it, that's fine too. It's still for the benefit of the team. So um, I don't know, really. But I know that the next year, uh, I was starting to really struggle um, just kind of emotionally with the travel and the lifestyle of things when I was down in Australia. And Fed Cup was coming up. And I just said... uh, you know what, I'm just not going to play because I just need to concentrate. And it was kind of the idea of like that amount of pressure. I was like, I'm just not, I I can barely struggle with it when I'm feeling great. Like, so now I'm not feeling great at all. And I don't really like that sort of thing. So it was kind of a, uh, it was, I mean, it was right that I didn't go and it was absolutely right for the team that I didn't go. Um, but it was, it was kind of convenient as well. Have you seen what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's, I think it's, um, an interesting one. And at the moment we've got, um, 
it was on social media, I think last night, that Caroline Wozniacki has decided not to yeah. play Fedka, which means she cannot go to the Olympics in 2020 mm-hmm. because there's the rule that you have to have represented your country, et cetera, et cetera, which is why we've seen in the past the Williams sisters will make themselves available and play yeah. so they can qualify for the Olympics. And that has always been for play. It's, it's, it's quite, some people say it's, it's unfair that they have to do that. The others say it's quite a good carrot because if, you know, they will have to represent their country because ultimately when you get to the Olympics, that's something, gosh, oh wow, if you think Fed Cup for Great Britain's pressure, can you imagine representing a country at the Olympics? Mm. Crikey. Yeah, cool. and I, I, never got, I never got to do that. Uh, but as I say, I mean, my career was, was really short. I mean, look, none of these hurdles are insurmountable. I mean, you no. can learn to deal with all of it, right? But I, I didn't give myself the time um, or, or the chance. And I, I, you know, I had to kind of sort things out. But I'm still, I'm super excited about Fed Cup being in Britain. I'm, I really yeah. hope that it gives them the boost that they need. But, you know, we're really good at getting out of those that group. It's the playoff that, that's just, it's hard. I mean, look, we might be playing the loser of either Czech or Romania. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? Like, well, I can, if you like, I can do your scouting report because <laughs> I'll be covering those two. Pliskova is leading the way for the Czechs because Petra Kvitova, it was an early announcement made that she, she wouldn't be there for this round because she had a title to defend in St. Petersburg, which she didn't, but then the title to defend the week after and obviously everything she's been under. Uh, she's so dedicated to the Fed Cup and to representing Czech Republic, but she wouldn't be available for this tie. But they've still got Carolina Pliskova, top 10 player. And then you've got Simona Halep on the other side. You've got the world individual number one and two in doubles for the Czech Republic. I mean, it's insane, the talent across these two teams. It's it's in the Czech Republic. No, I'm really looking forward to it. And it was also confirmed this week that Simona Halep is going to be teaming up with Thierry Van Klimper. Yes, which is great. Great news. Can I just correct myself, though? Because I said we would play the loser out of Czech and Romania, which is not correct because they're in the playoff for World Group 1. And we will play the losers of people in the playoff for World Group 2. So, sorry, guys. While you were chatting, so I won't, I won't give you a report then on the other teams. Um, <laughs> while I was I was reading a little bit more about Plovdiv. And, oh, okay. <laughs> and just know just what a lovely place that is in, in, in Bulgaria. It has, yeah. a lot of cult, has a lot of culture. Um, has a big history in transport and education and uh, theatre. The industry there is good. The the shopping is lovely. And in July, it can get up to 45 degrees. So, I mean, if you fancy somewhere warm for your summer holidays, Plovdiv, uh, I could think of worse places. Yeah, I'm sure it's a a bit of a gem. I remember we went bowling one evening. That was our (laughs) kind of team bonding on the first night. Um, But it just got ridiculously competitive. (laughs) And you've... Can I just say, you've really not sold yourself as a doubles partner. Because at one point you said, no, I'm going to be fine on a doubles court. Having said initially, you were really competitive. And then you said, well, in Fed Cup, oh, I, had, I had no doubles prowess. So I'd never have been picked. So I thought, well, maybe you're not my best doubles partner. And then you've just said it got really competitive again. So I think the best way to secure longevity for this podcast is if, if, if we don't team up on a doubles court <laughs> together. Okay. <laughs> what do you think? I think... Well, I would, I would be fine. No, bowling got competitive, not doubles. Doubles, I don't mind. I'm just having a nice time. I think generally sport will get competitive. I think we should have a bake-off. Should we do it? Should- no, can I, can I just say, honestly, I'm, I am not naturally very competitive. I had to really find that as a player. And, 
yeah, I mean, people find it odd that if we go and play darts or go bowling, I'm just not competitive at all. I can choose to be. And when I go and play for Kent or if I play for my club, Cumberland Club, and play uh, tennis, I can choose to be really, really competitive. But I, I'm not I'm not known as a competitive person. And I always kind of say, well, I think I got a lot of the competitiveness out. I, kind of, I have a channel for it. And then the rest of the time, I'm like, I don't, I don't really care. Like if, we, if I'm losing at Pictionary, I'm kind of like, oh, you know, we're all having a lovely time. It's fine. Um, <laughs> so I'm not that bad. You know, I, you think I'm mean and scary. I'm not. Shall we have, shall we have a bake-off? Oh, okay. For Acapulco? Sh- <laughs> we're going to have an Acapulco bake-off. I'm so excited about Acapulco. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so we're going to turn up for the Acapulco final with Jaffa Cakes. Is that right? Yes, I will bring some Jaffa cakes. What do you bring? I got to make Jaffa. Well, I guess it's a bake off. Then I have to make Jaffa cakes, and our producer has to blind taste them and tell us which oh. is the best. Right? That's a bake off, oh. isn't it? Oh, oh, I see what you mean. Right. Okay. So we both both make Jaffa cakes. We we sort of don't let him see who's carrying what box. Put him down. He has to blind taste the Jaffa cake and tell us whether he prefers Jaffa cake A or Jaffa cake B. Okay. All what right. do you think? See, you're the competitive one, not me. <laughs> I'm really not. <laughs> okay, we're gonna ha- we're gonna have a bake off. Um, I'm gonna go and on that note, I'm gonna go and not being very competitive. I'm gonna go make some jaffa cakes. We will check in again next week. Yeah, I'll see you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.